going to begin with Proverbs 18, 21. Let me begin with a word of prayer. O Lord, it is not by our might or our strength or wisdom, but it is by you and you alone that you change lives, that you bring forth new life. So Lord, we ask that your word would now come forth and you would cause it to sprout to new life, to reinvigorated life for your glory. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Well, I've had many exciting Christmases, but there was one especially where a box under the Christmas tree had my eye. Long and skinny and weeks before I could open it. What could it be? Not only did I have such a box, but my brother had one. And then Christmas morning came. We opened it, and to our utter delight, a red Ryder BB gun. A boy could not be happier. Packaged with gloss, with a cowboy shooting off a horse. That'd be me in a couple days. Beautiful wood stock with leather straps hanging off. Oh, it was the gift of gifts. However, unlike other gifts I'd been given before, I couldn't use this whenever and however I wanted to use it. My dad told me we could only use it when he was around. We could never point it at someone, even if it wasn't loaded. He told us that we had to be careful how we used it. As I got older, he allowed us to use other guns, and he would give us other warnings and precautions of how to use them. And then even as I got older, he took me and one of my brothers to a gun safety class. Well, why did he take all this effort? Well, because guns, they can be a wonderful thing. They can bring a lot of good and yet they can also cause a lot of harm. And because of the power they have, he wanted to make sure I knew how to use it correctly in a way that would benefit others, not harm them. Well, God's word declares to us there is something just as powerful, even maybe more powerful than guns. Look down in Proverbs eighteen twenty one. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Just like my dad took time to not only give us a precious gift, but then to instruct us, this is how you need to take care of this because it is so powerful. So we have to realize that our Heavenly Father has given us a gift, a powerful gift, our tongue. And he also takes the time to explain to us how are we going to use this so that it gives life to people and not death so that it is used in a way that reflects him and not the devil and to do that there's many things we could say but this morning we're going to look at three main themes first we need to realize the power of words second we need to marshal the power of silence marshal the power of silence and third we need to speak the truth in love. So first, realize the power of words. Second, marshal the power of silence. And third, speak the truth in love. But that first point, realize the power of words. You know, I don't know when this started, but people like to break everything down very scientifically, and they go, just think about it. It's not a big deal. A word, what is it? 
just a puff of breath. Me moving my mouth in certain ways, and you hear something. So words don't really matter. You shouldn't care. Sticks and stones, no big deal. And yet we all know from experience, and we'll also see from God's word, that words are powerful. And Proverbs shows us three ways. Words are powerful because they can ensnare us or they can free us. Words are powerful because they can reveal or they can conceal. And words are powerful because they can harm or they can heal. So first, they can ensnare us or free us. You're talking to a friend and you promise something and then you realize your calendar, maybe your wallet, maybe your ability can't fulfill it, but you're stuck because your words trapped you in what you've said. Proverbs 12, verse 13. I have lots of Proverbs, so I'm not going to wait every time to turn there. But Proverbs 12, 13 declares that the evil are ensnared by their own speech, but the righteous escape. As we look through the Gospel of Luke, we saw this numerous times where the religious leaders, ha-ha, we got Jesus. And then by their very own words, they were trapped. Because they want to talk about God's authority. And Jesus says, oh yeah, let's talk about God's authority. That's good. Where did John the Baptist come from? Their own words trapped them. Words can ensnare us or free us or they can free us. We've already talked about ensnare. Proverbs 6.2. Solomon here is giving a warning. He says to his son, look, if you've been caught by your words, you've been ensnared, what do you do? Well, then he says, use more words because your words can free you. He tells them, go plead with your neighbor. And so words have this power to ensnare us or be the means of freeing us. But words can also reveal or conceal. Well, what we say can let everyone know what we think. We can also use our words to conceal our true feelings or intentions. Proverbs 20.14 is interesting. It talks about the marketplace. And there, you have the seller and the buyer, and the buyer is going, oh, that's a ripoff. I'm never going to buy that. That's such a horrible price for that, and it's a shoddy product. Horrible, horrible. Okay, just because we're friends, I'll pay you for it, though I'm getting ripped off. Gives them the money, and as soon as they go home, I got a steal today. Their words are concealing their real feelings. Where they are and who they're talking to is concealing how they really feel, or people are talking to someone they hate, and yet they speak kindly while they have murder in their hearts. Their mouth is concealing their violence. But words can also reveal. They can reveal our knowledge, our wisdom, and they can also reveal the lack of it. Here in Proverbs 18, flip over one chapter to Proverbs 17, verses 27 and 28. It reads, whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. As President Lincoln said, better to be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Thus, we have to be careful because our words can reveal maybe what we don't want revealed, or they can conceal. But thirdly, our words have the power to harm or help. And Solomon has many warnings of the ways our words can harm. 
one of the primary ways our words can harm is first in our relationship with God. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 19 tells six things the Lord hates, and two of them are lying. Our words destroy our relationship with God. Proverbs 19.5, it says, God will not let the liar go unpunished. Proverbs 10.19, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. You know, no one ever says, well, it was only his tongue that said it. I mean, that's like, what, 2% of his body, 1%? That's not him. Well, no, your tongue is you. It represents you. And your tongue can bless your life or ruin it. Some of you may remember in 2014, Donald Sterling was the owner of a National Basketball Association team. And he said some words in private that were recorded. And within a couple months, he had to sell his team, and he could no longer go to any other NBA event for the rest of his life. His words ruined his life. Our words can also have a harm, not just with God, but with our friends, our relatives, those around us. Proverbs 11:9. with his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor. Gossip, false accusations, and slander can destroy a person. It's not just individuals, though. Proverbs 11:11 11 talks of a city being exalted or destroyed due to the wise or wicked speech that comes from our mouths. If you're in Proverbs 17, you can flip over just one chapter. Proverbs 16, 27, it says, A worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. James chapter 3, which was read earlier, picks up on this. A fire that can destroy well beyond the initial flame. On October 8, 1871, a little fire started. A little fire started in the barn of the O'Leary family in Chicago. This fire grew and grew until a third of the city was burned to the ground. 100,000 people were homeless in a matter of days. 300 people died, and $200 million by their day's measurement was ruined. But it was just, it's just a little flame. What's the big deal? Well, that little flame grows. And so we can't say, well, it's just a word. It's no big deal. Those words can grow and cause destruction well beyond what they were originally intended for. Thus, our words are not just mere puffs of air. I mean, what's the big deal? It's just just air going out. Not at all. Words have the power of life and death. And thus, Solomon gives a warning in chapter 26, verses 18 and 19, because people will often say something really cruel or harsh, and they'll go, I was only joking. (laughs) It's just a joke. And Proverbs says, the man who says that is like someone who picks up darts and just throws them aimlessly. You're going to harm someone. That's foolish. And so our words can be a fountain of life or death. Proverbs 12, 18, there is one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Well, how can they bring healing? Well, just like our tongues can destroy our relationship with God, they can heal it. Proverbs 15, 29. It says, The Lord is far from the wicked, 
but he hears the prayers, the words of the righteous. Well, you might be far from God. How do you get close? You speak to him. Your words can bring you close to God. Our words can bring us benefit. Proverbs 10.11 says they can produce life. 10.21 says they give food relationally, emotionally, spiritually. Proverbs 16.23 and 24, that they're better than food. They can give a joyful and sweet life. We can be weighed down and someone speaks the right word and it lifts us up. In fact, merely speaking the truth can save someone's life. And so words are powerful. And thus God instructs us in how to use them. But before getting into two ways we should understand the instruction, we have to realize that this is not just from our lips. It can be words on a page or words on a screen. And somehow we forget that, that, well, I'm not speaking, I'm just typing. And we say things or type things that we would never say or hopefully we would never say to someone's face. Harsh, demeaning, ugly. And yet all of our words, no matter what form we use them, we are being instructed how to use them because they have power. They can breathe life into others. Where they can be a fire that causes death and destruction. And so Solomon warns us that we need to marshal the power of silence. As I read through Proverbs, I counted at least 16, maybe there's others, at least 16 different Proverbs that talk about the importance of silence or being very slow to our words. Here are some. Proverbs 10:19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Proverbs 13.3 Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Proverbs 18.6 and 7 A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. Proverbs 29, 20. Do you see a man who's hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Well, why are there so many verses on silence? Well, I think for at least three reasons. First, we should be silent so we can learn. If we're talking, we're not hearing, and we're not going to learn anything else. Second, we need to be silent so we can realize when speaking is actually going to be harmful. So we've got to be silent to realize when speaking will be harmful. And we've got to be silent, third, so we can controllably persuade. So first, under the power of silence, marshalling it, be silent so you can learn. If you're near Proverbs 18, turn to verse 13, one that we should commit to memory. Proverbs 18, 13, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. As a parent, you've experienced this. You come into a room, your two kids are arguing, and you hear the first child explain, oh, I can't believe the other child did that. And you're about to go discipline them, and then the other goes, well, uh, they forgot to tell you they just walked in and punched me first. Oh, okay, that kind of changes the situation a little bit. You've got to hear the whole story. And yet sometimes we're so quick to act on what we do know that we're not listening, we're not learning. Sadly, this happened to my shame once when I was in college 
I was part of a university-wide campus outreach with other Christians, and me and a friend went, and we were helping, and we had this one training, and a doctrinal dispute came up, and me and another guy especially were kind of going back and forth, and I gave my verse. Really was unanswerable. You got to realize that. And then the other guy was starting to respond, and he starts responding. And I'm flipping to my next verse, and my friend reaches over and he says, "Jeremy, stop and listen to what he's saying." And he was right. He was a loving friend who rebuked me and said, "Look, you're not trying to. Li- you're not engaged in any kind of discussion. I was trying to win." Do I really think I understand everything about every issue? I have nothing else to learn that I don't even need to listen to you because I got my next unanswerable, completely defeating your argument, argument. No, I have to be silent. Listen to what you're saying so I can learn. Because if you don't think you need to learn, then we need to turn to a bunch of other proverbs about pride. And yet we all have to learn. So we need to be silent so we can learn, but also be silent because sometimes speaking is harmful. Consider Proverbs 23, 9. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the good sense of your words. Proverbs 29, 9. If a wise man has an argument with a fool, the fool only rages and laughs, and there is no quiet. So sometimes there are people that have no desire to actually listen to what you're saying. They just love to rile you up. They'll post, they'll say anything just to get everyone wild up. And you see it in the office. You see it with neighbors. They just always constantly, what's going to get this person riled up? I'll just say this. And they go, shoo. And they're just sitting there. <laughs> Got another person. Be wise. Don't interact in that with that type of person. In our online activity, we should consider long Proverbs 26, 17. It says, Like the one who grabs a stray dog by the ears is someone who rushes into a quarrel, not his own. You go online, you want to see the wedding pictures of your cousin because you didn't get to make it to the wedding. And on the way to that, you see a comment by someone you barely even know about issue X, Y, or Z. And you're like, let the stray dog go. You don't know them. If you look and see their other post every day is some meme that is completely unfair and harsh, let the stray dog go. Because all you're going to do is post something and they're going to come right back. They're not going to listen. Sometimes you need to let the stray dog go rather than grabbing it by the ears. Third, be silent so you can controllably persuade. Our goal should be when I talk with you, specifically when I'm talking to you about issues, is to persuade. Let's just be honest. We, I want you to agree with me, or else I wouldn't hold to what I believe. Yet, at the same time, I need to realize I need to listen because I could be wrong, and I also need to engage in a way that will actually lead to you changing your mind. Now, yes, God is ultimately in control, but God has given us wisdom about when and how to speak. One of the greatest ways that gets in the way of us persuading others is our own anger. Proverbs 29.11 says, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. You know, if there's an issue that makes you uncontrollably angry, it's wise to pause, go away, and then say, Could we talk about that again another time? 
Now, we need to be clear, anger in and of itself is not bad. And there are literally life and death issues that we vote for and that are in our country. And so we do not, and we should not say anger is bad. It even tells us in Ephesians, be angry. That's a command. And do not sin. However, righteous anger about something does not mean righteous anger is going to help persuade someone. When you're in the midst of that righteous anger, you need to get control and then have the conversation so that you can persuade others. Another crucial part of silence is listening so you can make sure you're not talking past each other. We want to persuade, so I actually need to hear what you're saying because sometimes we're talking about the same issue, it seems, but they're actually talking about another issue behind the issue, or they have different assumptions, or they're using the same words but with different meanings, or they have a history with their family or friends that is so clouded that they're not talking about what you're talking about. Let's take, we'll use a hot button issue, the death penalty. They maybe have a family member who was wrongly tried and convicted in court, and so they don't hear anything about the death penalty. All they can think about is, we need a better justice system. They're not, but that's all they think about. Well, you've got to listen. Why is it that you're opposed? And asking good questions, and then go, oh, I'm really sorry about what happened to your family member. That's horrible. Let's talk about that. Okay, now let's talk about this issue that's tied to the justice system, but it's not exactly the same. Or you might, they might be concerned about how often the verdict of death penalty has been given unfairly to different races, and they might be concerned more about racial issues. Well, then you need to talk about those before you get to the issue of death penalty. Yes, we need to get there, but you're going to keep talking past each other, and you have to listen and ask good questions to know what is their real issue with this issue. And yet that is only going to happen if we marshal the power of silence and listening. You know, silence, we have to understand, though, is sometimes seen as a backhanded way of just maintaining the status quo. Maybe the status quo for people like me who are white, male, Protestant. Isn't silence violence? Well, since we've let the cat out of the bag, I am white, male, and Protestant. We might as well talk about it. That really has nothing to do with what we're talking about. The question should be, is it true or is it not? I'm white, male, and Protestant, and I think Hitler was a very evil man. Does that change since I'm white, male, and Protestant? Well, no. It's either true or it's not. So we can't remove someone because of their race or their gender or their religion. We need to say, is this true or is this not? Have some people, and we should be clear, sometimes white male Protestants, use language, use words, use institutions to control and have power? Yes, and that's wicked. But that doesn't mean we can then excuse it all. We need to say, is this true or not? But is silence violence? When essence that's saying, look, if you don't speak up, you are just as guilty of what is happening. And... I think we should say instead of silence is violence, that silence may be. Silence has been complicit with violence. I don't think we can always say silence is violence. It very well may be, and I think we can point at times when it has been. But I think we need to ask at least four questions about do I need to be the one who breaks the silence? First, 
Very important. Do I have all the facts? Do I understand everything that is going on? You know, our culture demands an event happens and you, prominent person, must respond immediately, completely condemning or completely commending those actions. A court system, a trial, takes days to give all the evidence, to hear both sides, and yet we demand watch one video and declare total condemnation or commendation. Do I have all the facts? Have I heard everything? And it's fine to say, I don't know. Or I don't have that. That's something happening in a completely different city that I have nothing to do with. That's not my place. And we'll get there in a minute. But second, we should ask, is this offense worthy of being confronted or called out? In other words, is this a pattern or a one-time event that's really horrible? Was this so horrible that I should speak out? And sometimes the answer is clearly yes. Sometimes what has happened is so bad we should speak up. And yet sometimes it's not that bad and we should not feel this burden that every silence is violence. Third, am I the appropriate person to bring this up? Now sometimes I hear urban legends, rumors I swirl around. I've heard that in some families, a child will do something wrong. And even though the parent is there, another child will correct them. I don't really think it's true. But I've heard that this happens. And yet they're not the person to bring it up. The parent is right there. They are the person to confront what's going on. So, yes, you might have all the facts. You might be the person who sees that it's horrible and yet you're not the person to talk about it. A real quick example could be a sports game. Well, it's a horrible foul. You can yell and scream, oh, it's wrong, but who's the person to make the call? The referee. That's their job. Fourth, and lastly, is this the right time and place to bring this up? You know, sometimes Sarah has needed to talk to me about my behavior, but she's always tried to do it when the children aren't around, trying to show respect. Well, there have been times when our children have done things wrong, and we always try. We're not perfect, but we always try and have them go to another room and talk to them privately. Why? Because if you talk to them in public, you're putting unnecessary shame on them, sometimes creating long-term bitterness. So yes, you, it might be so horrible you need to talk, but does that mean you need to do it right then? Let's go to the other room. Right now, go to the other room. We're going to talk about this. It needs to be talked about. So is silence violence? Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's not. We need wisdom to know when to speak up and when to say, it's not my place. I don't need to speak into that. And sometimes we need to say, that's really bad, but let's take this offline. I disagreed with what you just posted, but hey, could we meet up for coffee? Because it's not going to be beneficial for me to have this debate publicly. And you're probably seeing it all in this. It's very challenging because no two situations are exactly alike. Flip over to Proverbs chapter 26. Because in Proverbs 26, 4 and 5, we see the very challenging nature of this. Fairly well-known verses, they say, verse 4 of chapter 26, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Okay, 
They're a fool. This is easy. They just don't answer. And then verse 5 says, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Wait, which is it? Do we answer the fool or we don't answer the fool? Well, you need wisdom. You need to discern, is this the type of fool that if I don't answer, they're just going to think they're beyond refutation, that they're super wise? Do they need to be rebuked so they won't be wise in their own eyes? Or is this the type of fool who is just intending to mock and bring forth answers and they're not going to listen at all, so it's pointless for me to engage in a debate? Well, that's what God is calling you to discern. For you in that situation to go, what is going on? And it takes wisdom to do that. And so there are times to be silent. And there are times to speak. But we've considered the silence. So let's go to the last point. Times to speak. And we need to speak the truth in love. The verse from Ephesians 4. Speak the truth in love. And that first part is really the, the very crucial foundation. We have to speak the truth. You know, this is one of the main aspects of any Christian speech. It comes from the ninth commandment. You shall not bear false witness. It doesn't say you shall not bear false witness except if the other side or the other person lies a lot, then it's really okay to bear false witness because they're going to do it anyways. No, it says you shall not bear false witness. Oh, so Pastor Jeremy, you're saying that if Nazis are at my door and I'm hiding Jews, then I have to say, yes, I'm hiding Jews. Well, no, we're not really talking about that. That's a really good thing to discuss. In fact, we haven't spent a whole sermon on it. But often people take these extreme situations and deny the very clear and obvious application. We are, as Proverbs 4.24 says, to put away crooked speech and put devious talk far from us. In our vernacular, we're to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. You know, we are resembling, we are reflecting God who always speaks the truth clearly. He never uses double speak. He is always forthright. And yet this clear command of speaking the truth is broken when we share and post stories that slander other people, even Christians, without checking to see if they're even true. When we pass on rumors or speculations or unchecked assumptions without checking to see if they're true, then we are breaking this command. Well, who has time to check all this stuff? Well, if you don't have time to check if it's true, then don't share it. It's very simple. If you don't know, then err on the side of not being a liar. It's a very simple solution to the problem. You don't have to share everything that comes into your feed. And we have to watch out here because it's very easy to lie about people without knowing it. Someone you respect and trust posts something, oh, that's got to be true. Well, hit the brakes. We've all shared something that wasn't true. Spoiler alert here for some of you, not every story on the Internet is true. People of every political stripe, Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians, Green Party, whatever party, have shared, will share, do share, complete lies. Completely fabricated or stories that have a eh, 
shade of truth, but stretched so far that they're not true. To be kind of very specific, well, let me say one something else first. We have to, in this, be careful to consider what I was saying earlier. Is this true or not? We cannot just go, eh, not true, because we slap a label on someone. Oh, they're just a social justice warrior. Oh, they're just racist. Oh, they're just cultural Marxists. Oh, they're oppressors. I'm not even going to read that. Well, we can't just throw a label and excuse. What are they saying? No, no one has time to read every article that comes across your feed, but engage the ideas. Get past the ad hominem attacks. To be real clear, the example I had was we can't call the Democratic Party the Communist Party. That's unfair. It's untrue. We can't call the Republican Party the White Supremacist Party. That's unfair and untrue, though I have seen friends say things like that. Now, one could very well have concerns that the Democratic Party has leaders who were widely accepted who are pushing socialist ideas, but those are socialist ideas, not communist. As well, people could be concerned that they are white supremacists who like President Trump, but those are some people. It's not the whole party. And so we lie. We are not being faithful witnesses if we say, Democrat, communist, Republican, white supremacist. That is breaking the ninth commandment. Now, you might have a specific issue, but we must tell the truth. At this point, you know, when I say, well, look, we're talking about party leaders versus a couple outliers. Okay, I actually kind of agree with that. But still, we have to tell the truth. We must tell the truth. And part of the problem in this is that we like salacious stories about the other side. We like it when they look really bad. One reporter told of how he shared a story that was really condemning to the people he didn't agree with. And yet then he found out it was untrue. So he shared again and said, hey, I need to take back that article. It wasn't true. And though 4,000 people originally shared his story, only 500 then shared that it was untrue. We'd rather share the stuff that makes them look bad than go, oh, actually, that wasn't true. We want to believe the bad. And we're often, sadly, less concerned about truth and more concerned about our moral cause or that our political party is advanced. Yet as followers of Christ, we can never forsake truth for supposed gain. Let's just be real clear. God does not need us to sin for his kingdom to advance. His kingdom is in his hands, and he never needs sin to have it march forward. And part of the reason lying is so horrible is that God hates it. We already saw this in Proverbs 6, where two times God Oh, it says, of the six things I hate, two of them are a lying tongue. This is seen specifically in Acts chapter 5. There, a couple, Ananias and Sapphira, sell some property, and they come and present it as though they're giving all the money to the church. But the apostle Peter then asked, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part for yourself of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after is it sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, 
but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. Now the issue here was not the giving of money. Peter was clear. They could have kept the money. It's that they lied about it, and God quickly punished them. And yet though God hates lying and will judge it, he also blesses speaking the truth. But this is what makes telling the truth hard is we're not always immediately rewarded or immediately punished like Ananias and Sapphira. If we were, we would all be lying dead next to them. And yet at times, it appears that lying gets you ahead. Proverbs 12:19 declares, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. But in that moment, it sure can seem like it's better to tell the lie. Proverbs 19.5, a false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will not escape. And we have to realize it may seem to be doing good in my life to eh, shade the truth a little, and yet it is never going to last. We bless others when we tell them the truth. Proverbs 28, 23, whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. We all like it when people tell us what we want to hear, but we are blessing them when we tell them what they need to hear. People are going down paths that they think are going to bring life, but the end is death, and out of love we tell them the truth. The goal is not just to speak the truth, though, is to do it at the right time, as we saw earlier, and at the right manner. Considering the right time, Proverbs 27, 14 says, Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. Just because that thing's true does not mean you need to say it right now. You know, as followers of Christ, our lips should almost never say, Well, I just tell it like it is. It's the truth, isn't it? Like it or lump it, I just let it all hang out. A few years ago, some of you will remember the commercial from Geico where they're saying, does Geico save you 10% or less? Then they ask, does a former drill sergeant make a good therapist? And a man's lying on the couch saying, what really makes me sad is yellow. And the drill sergeant says, you know what makes me sad? You do. Maybe you should chug on over to the Mamby Pamby land where we can get you some self-confidence, Jack Wagon. And some of us are like, yeah, that's right. Let them have the truth. We don't need to sugarcoat this. And yet we're called to speak the truth in love. Now let's be real clear. Speaking the truth in love is not about being a timid Mamby Pamby or negatively apologetic where you're always apologizing. Well, I'm sorry. I hope this doesn't offend you, but murder's wrong. Did that offend you? Sorry. No, we could speak the truth boldly. Speaking the truth in love does not mean we're always apologizing over ourselves that murder's wrong. You could say murder's wrong. You don't need to apologize. But speaking the truth in love does mean you consider how you say it and the timing of what you say. Clearly, speaking the truth in love does not mean we avoid rebuking. Jesus rebuked his disciples. He cleared the temple with whips. He had very harsh words for the religious leaders. All of that has to be considered. Yet, he also kept going to those religious leaders' houses for meals. He kept calling them to repentance, and he kept having conversations with them. Maybe the 
one of the better illustrations of this is the story of King David and the prophet Nathan. When King David sinned with Bathsheba and then tried to cover it up by murdering Uriah, the prophet Nathan didn't come in and go, well, I just need to let you know, you broke the first, sixth, eighth, seventh, and tenth commandment. You're a horrible guy. I mean, that would have been true. But he considered, how am I going to persuade David to come to repentance, to change his mind? And so what did he do? He came at the right time. He told a story that helped David understand, a story tied to David's own life about sheep. Ah, And David gets pulled in, and then Nathan lets him know that he was the man, and David is changed. Now, was that ultimately God who did that? Yes, it was. But God used the wisdom of the prophet Nathan to consider how can I communicate the truth in a way that will lead to change. Now, ultimately, we don't control that, but we should do our best. Ephesians 4, we'll end with this. Verses 25 and 29 say, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. May God give us that grace, that we would be ambassadors, both in what we say and how we say it. Let's pray. Oh Lord, would you so will and work in us that that would be true, that we would never be ashamed of the truth, that we would be bold and courageous, but we would never give up the appropriate manner of expressing that truth, that we would be gentle and loving. Oh Lord, may we be your reflection here. In your son's name we pray. Amen.